Hello, my name is Christian. I'm heading the company building unit Forward 31 of Porsche Digital. And I'm delighted to be here in the room with Tim Leberecht, the co-founder, co-CEO and co-curator, a lot of co's of the House of Beautiful Business. And he's also the co-moderator of this brand new episode of the second season of the Next Visions in the House of Beautiful Business podcast. Thank you, Christian. A pleasure. Thank you for this collaboration um, <laughs> that uh, is continuing with the second season of the Next Visions podcast. Um, yeah, we are in a building that only we call Tucholsky Palace. It's in Berlin Mitte. We're sitting in a beautiful lounge. Last year, November 2019, we were at the annual gathering of the House of Beautiful Business and we were in a beautiful library in Lisbon. And The people that we featured, the, the beautiful minds, the visionaries that we featured in the podcast series, they met in person for the first time mm -hmm. in a room without moderator. And still, we don't have a moderator for the second season. However, in the wake of the pandemic, uh, the, the people we feature in this series, they only met remotely and they actually had the conversation online. And that, as you will hear probably, is different than meeting in person in a room and different kind of conversation that, that uh, is unfolding. I think the world has changed pretty much since season one, but also the podcast has changed. You have described a couple of these features. I think what also has changed a bit, we are going more into extreme with the couples we bring together. Can you maybe have a word on whom are we listening to in this new episode? Yeah, in a way, it's a sign of our times, isn't it? That the extremes have become more extremes and The systems have cracked up and we're asking ourselves bigger questions and the band-aids have been stripped off. And I think that's becoming very evident in the conversations and in the, 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 the pairs of speakers that we curated. So we'll have a psychotherapist talk to a journalist who was formerly incarcerated and spent 20 years in prison. We have a development economist talk to an actor about othering and many more interesting pairings. But let's, uh, Start with episode one, shall we? So who is in the episode one? So episode one features Charlotte Fox Weber. She's a psychotherapist and the head of psychotherapy at the School of Life. The School of Life is an educational institution with many uh, branches around the world that is focused on teaching and promoting emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And Irvin James is the other guest in this episode. He is a formerly incarcerated writer and author. He wrote a book about his experience in prison more than 20 years called A Life Inside. So he knows a thing or two about the school of life as well from a very different perspective. And the two of them are having a conversation about belonging. Mm -hmm. Now I'm extremely curious. So let's tune into the new episode. Hello, I'm Charlotte Fox Weber, and I'm a psychotherapist. I'm the head of psychotherapy at the School of Life. I'm here talking with Erwin James. Erwin James, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, Charlotte, thank you very much. It's, a, it's, it's really nice to speak to you. And nice to speak I'm, with you, too. I, well, it's, it's quite amazing that you, you, ha you, you run the School of Life. Because the I psychotherapy of, service at the school, yeah, of life, not the whole organization. <laughs> but it's a fantastic title for a, a, you know, a thing that you do. I sort of lived the school of life in a way, you know. It's broad in scope. It's, the school of life is a big, it's a, that's a big scope. That's a it big, is. Uh, a big life. But my, my, so I'm here, I got here through a very odd journey mm. uh, from prison. I was a prisoner for 20 years. I was convicted in 1984 uh, wow. of murder. And I went to prison for life, 
you know, life imprisonment in in the, in England. Um, I never oh expected God. to be somebody who would be fit ever to sit and have a conversation with you. If I'm honest, I went away with no skills, no abilities, inarticulate, mm. ill-educated, no no sort of no plans or aspirations that there would ever be a future. Well, that's me. I, you know, that that's I. I um, my, my my full name is Owen James Monaghan, mm-hmm. but I became Owen James the writer in prison. That's why. So here I am, Owen James. But I, I'm now a writer and an author. Uh, mm. Thirty years later, which I never, I never thought. <laughs> you know, even now I think, how the hell did this happen? How how did I get here? Mm. You know, but I, but here I am. We never know. What a story. So well, Charlotte, go on, please, please. Yeah, I'm sorry. Don't don't I'm I'm just so excited and interested to be speaking with you. It's such a privilege. And uh, your story is much more interesting and textured than mine. So I'm very well, you curious. Say that. <laughs> You're holding things back, I think. I, absolutely. That's totally <laughs> true. But I'm very interested to know what it means to you to belong. Um, especially in this time period, having having maybe felt that you didn't belong in prison for all that time what it's like to reintegrate into society, having having been locked away, what lockdown means to you. Lots of questions. So tell us what belonging means to well, you. Well, belonging, we see, we talked in this context, we talked about belonging. Mm. And, you know, I, I, in a very odd way, I find belonging in prison, in a prison cell, you know, in a mm. concrete box. Mm. I never belonged anywhere. Before prison, I didn't have any sense of belonging, really. I, I sort of was drifting up and down the country. I ended up in France. I was, you know, as a criminal, which I was, don't get me wrong, I, you know, I'm not going to hide from that fact. I, I, I had a criminal sort of lifestyle. Right. But when I went to prison and I met people who wanted me to be the better version of who, I, who I'd been, Mm-hmm that's when I started to feel a sense of belonging. Now, I don't mean, I, I knew I belonged in prison because I'd caused pain and grief. You know, I had a lot of victims. I, I you know, I, I knew I deserved to be in prison. Did I belong in prison? Well, well, I found a sense of belonging in, in, a, in a sort of closed community where I'd never had any sense of belonging before, if, mm-hmm. that, if, if that sort of makes sense to all. It I, does make sense. You know, I found context in prison, which I'd never had any context before prison. Mm-hmm. There's no context in my life other than just, you know, drifting here, drifting there, causing problems, trying to survive, you know. And you were in prison for 20 years? Yes. Wow. So there was something containing about it? Was it a kind of concrete mama in a way? What was it like? To, that is a to that is there? a good that is a really good <laughs> that is really perceptive because there was a concrete mama and papa. But the thing mm. about prison is, especially in the UK, my thoughts were that they it was um, prison was like a like bad parents. They were it was bad bad mummy bad daddy because the state was looking after you know the state gives you a bed, gives you food, gives you the basics. And they give you more than the basics. Because, I mean, in fairness, I had the most amazing education in prison. But life on the prison landing is survivalist. It's very, you know, people outside often think 
people in prison, they're all, they're all friends or mates or pals together. And that's not the case. You know, people, pe what we do is with prison, we cram thousands of people, strangers, into these places we call prisons. And we call them the prisoners and we think we know them. The murderers, the rapists, the pedophiles, the burglars, the muggers, the drug you know, we, we, we give them labels and we think we know these people. And then we consider them the other. Right. They're not like us. Yes. They're, 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 they're criminals. They're not like us. And so my sense really was, well, I, I, I couldn't have said that to you then because I didn't have this, I wasn't a sophisticated thinker when I went to prison. I, was a, I really was a, a limited intellectual capacity. It was very limited. I, mm. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't that sort of thinker. So I, I sort of gradually started to think about how I'd become what I'd become. You know, mm -hmm. was I born bad? Was I made bad? Right. Did I choose to be bad? And I, I thought about that, about the way that the people around me, did they, were they born bad? Were they, did they choose to be bad? Were they made bad? You know. How fascinating. So in a way, we're talking about belonging morally, emotionally, physically, all of these different aspects of identity. What was it like to come out of prison and find yourself belonging or not belonging in your new life? <laughs> That's a good question again, Charlotte. Thank you. I mean, coming out of prison, it was very, it was amazing coming out of prison. You know, I've been a captive. You know, I've been in captivity for 20 years and I walked out the gates. I went into those places. You know, I was a maximum security prisoner, category A, like the most dangerous in the system, which I really wasn't. I mean, on paper I was, but I, but I really wasn't then. When I came out the other end, 20 years later, a writer, you know, a journalist, I used to think when I was in prison, I used to think if I could just live long enough to experience one sunny day outside, you know, blue sky and sunshine. We all, we all dream of blue skies and sunshine. And you, you get a few of those in prison, but, but all you see is walls and bars and mm. fences and I used to think if I could just if I could just live long enough to experience one sunny day outside. Often that's all that kept me going. And and I walked out after twenty years, twenty years to the day, by the way, I walked out into the most amazing August sunshine. And the big gates opened and I you know, sort of strolled out. It was the most amazing experience. And you talk about belonging. Where did I belong then? Because for twenty years mm -hmm. I'd belonged in a closed community. Now I knew, I sort of knew that I didn't belong in prison, but I deserved to be there. There's a subtle difference between belonging in prison, but I knew I deserved to be there. But once I was out, where did I belong? Did I belong in society? You know, the journalist aspect of my life gave me a sense of purpose, but uh, belonging... I wasn't sure where I belonged because I never had before prison. I'd never belonged. I, I'd never had a like a hometown or, a, you know, people say where you're from. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure where I'm from. My family was Scottish. I was born in England. We moved around here, there, and everywhere. Normally, when you say to me, where you're from, people say, "Oh, I'm from Hartlepool. I'm from London. I'm from," you know, I didn't have a place mm -hmm. where I, I was from anywhere. So I. 
when I walked out those prison gates, my sense of belonging was, if I'm honest, I, did, I still didn't have a sense of belonging. I just was so pleased to be free. You know, suddenly I could, I could turn left, wow. I could turn right, or I could walk straight ahead. I could, I could bury myself in a, I could dive in a river. I could, you know, I could do things that I, in prison, you, there's so much you can't do in prison, you know. Your life is so limited. How powerful to hear this story. So that taste of freedom must have just been intoxicating. And what about now in this time period when we're locked down or have been locked down? What does it feel like for you? Here's the thing. Well, don't forget, I've been out of prison now 15 years. But I never forget that experience. Never forget. You know, that's, I became who I am. I managed to become my version of me through the prison experience. You know, before prison, it was like, you know, my dad said I was stupid. He, my, everybody, you know, I was the version of other people before I went to prison. But in jail, I found a way to become my version of me, you know. So, so I got out of prison, my version of me. But now what? You know, how do I manage this new version of me, this... Uh, this authentic, we talk about authenticity, you know, about belonging and everything. How do I do that? And I'm not going to lie to you. It was, uh, you know, it was challenging. It was a challenging experience because on the one hand, I was euphoric because I was mm-hmm. free at last to walk wherever I want in the sunshine. I knew I would never be free from my crimes. So there's still a cage around me in some oh. way because of my crimes, which I can never... My slate could never be clean. I, I could never, it, it wasn't really, it was a fresh start, but not a, not a clean start, you know. So I stuck with that, but, you know, I just cracked on. I thought, well, I'm a writer. I, I, I should have been a writer. Long before I went to prison, I should have been somebody who did what I was doing. I found a way in prison to become who I should have been, I think. If things beyond my control hadn't have been so debilitating, I think, and I'm not making excuses here, but, you know, as I'm still trying to figure out how the hell, how do we, any of us become who we become? How do we become who we become? So as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, sure, we come from different worlds, but I'm relating powerfully to so much of what you're saying. I don't know where I'm from. And I wonder how our readers feel about that question. Who really knows where they're from? Charlotte, Charlotte, how did you become who you became? How did oh, you? Uh, well, I'm wanting to deflect and go back to you because, again, I feel like your story <laughs> is a lot more no, riveting. No, you, but, um, but, but, but listen, here we are. This is this is exactly it. We we don't know. None of us normally think about how we become. Right. Who we become. So uh, I because, just want to say. But then, but then, sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but no, it's okay. When you go to jail, then you start. You you're in a concrete box, and you think. How how did this happen? You know, was I born bad? Was I made bad? Did I choose to be bad? Who? How did this? You know, how did I become who? No, in normal lives, we don't think we we just accept that this is who we are, until you're faced with the end, and you think, well, hang on a minute, did I choose this end? Did I choose this big? Because I've got to tell you, when I was when I went to prison, I never imagined in all my life, in all my imaginations, my fantasies, that I would become a journalist or a writer for a national newspaper. I mean, it just wasn't. It just I was in a concrete box with with no no hope, 
No aspirations. Nothing. But you found a way through. Well, I found a way through. I found a way through. That's very encouraging. But we, but human beings do do. You know, I'm not the special one. I'm, I I feel special talking to you guys and, and you know colleagues, but I'm not the special one. Lots of people in prison found a way through. Lots of people, more people don't find a way through. That's why I still do this. Sure. Because uh, I think prison is a place where good things should happen, could happen. You know, the majority of, of the prison experience could be really positive. But because our society, most societies don't like criminals, you know, they don't like people in prison. It's easy for the media in any country and political class in any country it's very easy to use prisoners as a sort of political and a social negative. They're the, the, the common enemy, the criminal. Because, Charlotte, once you're in jail, once you're in prison, my, my feeling is, okay, you've done harm, you've caught, you, you were, I was, the, the enemy mm-hmm. of society. I, I didn't mean to be, but, but I was. Right. But now I'm in jail... I want to come back. I want to help me to come back. That that's the challenge for any redemption society. too. I mean, have you found a way to also forgive yourself and get past misadventures? Because I, I will tell you what I'm relating to so far. Not knowing where I'm from existentially. I mean, I do know geographically, of course, and not necessarily knowing where I belong. Because when it comes to the different aspects of my identity and my life, I'm not entirely comfortable with any one group. And I always feel like a bit of an outsider and sometimes also an insider, but I'm not sure that there's ever a place where I'm just entirely at one with my surroundings. And I feel I belong in these conversations. I feel I feel connected. I feel engaged. So right now, there's a sense of belonging. And for me, that's very powerful. But I'm really relating to so much of what you're saying, including feeling haunted by past mistakes. And I, I mean, you don't have to be a prisoner or a former prisoner to live with regret we like to say we don't have regret. It's a very popular concept to say that you regret nothing. I, I have my regrets. Um, and I think it's just an honest part of the human condition when we can acknowledge those things. So you're you're speaking the truth for a lot of people out there, I'd imagine. Well, so are you, I think. So are you. I, th- I think when we walk down a street, we imagine, well, you know, we don't know the people that we're passing. They're strangers. But they all, everybody has a sort of... I used to think that I was the, you know, I was such a broken and um, sort of disconnected individual. I, was, I, 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 I thought I was, you know, didn't belong anywhere. And what I've discovered through years of living, you know, getting older and being a bit of a thinker, everybody, not most people, everybody has thoughts about who they are, where they belong and how their lives are. People think about this stuff. Most people don't reflect too profoundly because it's difficult. You know, once you start to... It's painful. It can be painful. Once you start to unravel your life and you want to know, who am I? Why am I here? Now, I don't want to be too sort of esoteric, but, you know, who am I? Why am I here? There's a whole lot of that stuff in in societies all over the world you know we're all struggling in that sense well i think charlotte in fairness i think we are we we 
When I was in prison, I, re I read a newspaper article about these uh, young men, young people, who went to India. And they were asked, why are you going to India? And they said, we're, we're going to find ourselves. And I thought, how stupid was that? You know, I was, I was, I was so ignorant myself. After about 11, 10, 11 years in prison, I found myself and I understood exactly what that was because I think externally from all of us, there's an expectation, there's a, an anticipation, there's a sense that we need to show other people who we need to please other people with the versions of ourselves that we think they want us to be. And what I discovered, this finding ourselves thing, what I found in jail was, actually, once you find yourself, you know who you are. You don't need external approval or external negativity. You don't need anybody else's view of who you should be or who you are than your own. I love that. That's what finding yourself is. Mm-hmm. Being yourself, it's a difficult thing. You know, people say, "Well, you know, be yourself." And often, young young people think, "What does that mean?" Because everybody's there's so many young people, especially these days, who are trying to be what other people think they should be. And there's so many yeah. pressures for definitions from outside sources saying, "This is who you are. This is where you belong." Yeah. yeah. So, who are you, Charlotte? Who am I? An impossible question to answer. I'm, I'm many things. I'm full of contradictions. I'm a flawed person. I'm an outsider. <laughs> I, wow. I feel like I belong in various places and I'm at home everywhere and nowhere. Whether that's as a mother, as a psychotherapist, as an American, there's shame in every category of my life and also pride. And I even see it, this may sound a little bit cheesy, but even with something like WhatsApp groups, in some ways it's never been easier to be part of groups, but I always feel like an outsider. And I think as a therapist, I, I realize that that's a very, very normal thing. And being comfortable with that discomfort is immensely empowering. I'm kind of okay with it now. I have moments of unease, but I don't need to be completely comfortable in every situation. I can have that somewhat anchored sense of self. It's it's one of the good things about growing up, I guess. Oh, one of the good things about growing up, well, that what what happens as you grow up, I think, you you do become more aware of of the important things in life. You know, somebody said to me, I I I have got a friend who's a writer. And I said I want I want to be comfortable with life you see you said something about being comfortable with yourself and everything and he said no you as a writer you must never be comfortable comfortable with life <laughs> oh christ you know be struggling <laughs> well no i think don't we all want to be comfortable with our lives comfortable with our lives i think the human condition is so fraught with conflict and, and stress from especially the modern sort of situation where People are so influenced by the way other people think about them. Yes. Which I was, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I was exactly like that. In fact, you know, I, I just, if you want to ask me something a few years ago, when I, when I first engaged with the internet, and um, I had a really difficult time. But then, th since then, once I came through it, I realized it was just, the internet was like a big graffiti board where people can say Erwin James is an asshole in the toilet sort of 
cubicle. But now they can say it on the internet and the whole world can see it, you know. It's, but it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing at all. It just means, that, you know, if, if somebody says Owen James is a fantastic writer, wonderful. If somebody says Owen James is a terrible, horrible human being, that's fine. It doesn't matter. It really, what, what matters is what other people think about me, what I learned is, is none of my business. Mm. Well, I'm, we've got to have a robust enough sense of self. Well, um, exactly that. And one of the problems of our time is that we're such an obsessed culture with feedback. I mean, we're, yeah. we're constantly giving feedback. Feedback to, Getting yeah. feedback, it's too much. Of course. And it's too dangerous and precarious to have yeah. a sense of self-rest on some frivolous opinion of you. Other people's view. And other people's yeah. views are coming from their particular context at a moment in time. And but what if, Charlotte, what is our view of them? Of, of the, you know... I was watching the news this morning and there's a, a girl there who'd been really totally, utterly abused on social media. And, and she was really, in fairness, she was really strong, but she was affected. And you think, well, why, why would you care about the opinion of strangers? You know, why would you care about that? Because so many of us are just desperate for approval. Is that what it, Charlotte, is that what it is? Well, now, wait I think a minute. So. <laughs> right there, wrongly. Listen, you, look at you, accomplished, educated, bright, attractive, mm. successful. Do you need approval? Sure. <laughs> sure. I mean, I might not need it, but I want it. That doesn't mean that it's my lifeblood. I mean, I've learned yeah, to, that's the, that's the to key. want that it without requiring it. It's a nice to have, not a need to have. But yeah, I... I've realized what a driver it is. It's really dangerous to kind of be hungry for approval. All yes, the time. that is the danger. Mm. Being hungry for approval. That is, I like to be approved. When I write an article, or I do it in my newspaper, you know, my, my uh, I edit a newspaper for people in prison. And when the paper goes out and people feed back and say, oh, great paper this month. Of course, I feel I've done good. But my happiness does not depend on other people's approval. My happiness depends on, am I living well? Am I doing good? Am I being kind? You know, am I being kind? Because I, I was not a very kind person. Well, you know, many years ago, I was a, a very unkind person. But only because, I, I, well, there's no excuse. I just never got any kindness. So it was difficult for me to be kind when, when I never experienced kindness. Sure. But now I like being kind. I mean, you're also demonstrating change and what it is to evolve. Well, I hope so. I hope so, Charlotte, yeah. And that's quite a beautiful thing. I mean, hearing your story has made me think of the humanist Carl Rogers. Yes. Who described growing up on a farm, a very poor farm, where there were potatoes in a cellar and these potatoes got no sunlight, but they would keep growing. And yeah. he thought that that was a metaphor for the human condition, that even when we don't wow. have sunlight, we can still grow. You know, that's and the truth. Often, we need, you know, a period of no sunlight to grow. Sometimes we, because all we, all we seem to, often, we, we, we search for sunlight all the time. But actually, a little bit of darkness gives you a chance to reflect. You know, I was in, I was in, a, I was in a concrete box for 20 years. And, I, you know, I know I deserve to be there. But Christ Almighty, it gave me a chance to think about who I wanted to it gave me a chance to grow that I would never have had if I hadn't gone to prison. Now, don't get me wrong, I could have been executed. 
if the death penalty had been on the statute books in my country then... Thank goodness I, I, it, it wasn't. Well, I, well, you know, I wouldn't have minded. You know, I wouldn't have minded. I'd have just gone, you know. But it wasn't. I, I got life. I just, mm. I decided to live. I didn't really didn't know that I was going to live and end up having a good contributing life. I didn't know that. And you've made meaning. Well, I, I, I found meaning, Charlotte. Mm. I found meaning. Found or made? I would say made from what you're saying. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I make because somebody said to me today, you know, it's like it's like when you when you. I feel lucky, mm. but of course nobody gave me anything. I, I worked hard for my luck. So you made it. <laughs> well, I'm, I sort of made it, but I, but I have been lucky, you know. How of all the people, thousands of people in prison in this country, how did, how was it that I became a guardian journalist, a guardian columnist, and then when I got out of prison? I end up being the editor of the most amazing newspaper for prisoners in the world. How, how did that happen? Well, sometimes I, th- I think life sort of jigsaw, puzzle, the jigsaw puzzle of life clicks together gradually. And eventually you end up where you're meant to be. Mm-hmm. As long as your, mot- your motive, if you're moti- motivated to sort of find a meaning and a place to live that you want in life, and you really focus on that, and you work hard towards it. The, the sort of pieces click together, and and you end up there. You know that it's sort of like that. But so many, I mean, I, I know that so many people don't achieve their dreams and their hopes, and the, you know, for for various reasons. But some of us do, and I made it. I, I'm not sure how the hell I made it, but I I, I don't. I, I do feel guilt all out for the all my life. I feel guilt, but I don't feel guilty for making it. Because nobody gave me this. Mm. So you'll feel guilt for the rest of your life. Do you, oh, God, yeah. Do you think that's your sentence? Is there no chance that you could get past the guilt? No, I don't. No chance. Don't, yeah, because everything I have, I got because I caused a whole lot of pain and grief to other people. You know, the, everything I have, even though I've worked for, but I got the chance to do this. But could you never let yourself off the hook? You've served time. You're helping people now. You're contributing. At what point could that be enough? Well, that, I don't know why. Because every time I feel good, every time I sort of achieve something, I'm aware that there are there are two spaces where there should be human beings enjoying their lives, and they're not because of me. That's well. That's why. That's why. It's hard. But you know, I, I'm not complaining. You know, I'm not. I, it's just the way it is. I, I, I have to live this. You know, in prison, I could have crawled away and rotted like a, a husk of rotten humanity and just faded mm-hmm. away. I decided to try and have a life worth living, and I didn't intend to be a journalist and a writer. I, I, I had no aspirations at all. And, and these things, th- this where I am now came about because I I, I sort of worked hard Mm. and I was disciplined and I I wanted to be a decent human being. That's that's why these things came about, yeah. So I would still argue politely that you have the right to forgive yourself at some point and consider redemption and consider when you're allowed to just accept the life that you've lived and the life you're living. I think I think when it comes to forgiveness, I think forgiveness is the prerogative of the victim. 
if somebody's been hurt, um, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with asking for forgiveness. I think mm. forgiveness is the prerogative of the victim, of the, mm. the person who's been hurt. If they want to offer forgiveness, okay. But I'm very uneasy with asking for forgiveness. It's like someone like saying, please forgive me, and then everything's all right. No, I can't do that. I can't go along with that, you know. I'm, I'm not against forgiveness, but not for me. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So where do you belong in this moment? I belong at the moment with my ducks and my chickens, my wife. <laughs> where do I belong? Lockdown. I belong my desk. I'm not really sure where I belong at the moment. One, because we we are in Wales. I mean, I, you know, I live in Wales. And we're still locked down at the moment. United Kingdom, they've they've opened up in England and Wales and Scotland. They've opened up the uh, you can travel in Wales. We're still we're still five mile. Interestingly, the lockdown has given me the huge resonances with being in prison with a lockdown. Now I know I'm not in prison because here I am, look in my kitchen, and I'm, you know, I, I can go in the fridge, I can go in the cooker, I can cook something. But actually, the limitations that the, the lockdown has has brought on society has given everybody a sense of what it's like to have your have your freedoms limited, have your freedoms taken away. Sure, and it's a prison term, lockdown. Complete prison term, mm-hmm. yeah, lockdown. And 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 people in prison at the moment, the lockdown they're they're experiencing is really serious lockdown. It's like when I went to prison in eighty four, nineteen eighty four, I was locked in a prison cell for twenty three hours a day my first year of my 99 year sentence and here we are almost 40 years later and people in prison are now locked in their cells for 23 hours a day oh. almost 40 years after i went to prison you know we, 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 we've not made a lot of progress in our prison system i know there's a lockdown situation and there's a the, the covid thing but even though there's so much lockup in our prisons at the moment in the uk there's not enough of, of a sense of prisons should be places of, of uh, healing and hope. And I know if you're a victim of crime, if someone like me, if you're a victim of someone like I was, that's difficult. You don't want hope. You don't want aspirations. You don't want, you want punishment. You want suffering. Right. But if we do that as a society to the people we incarcerate, if we do that, Chances are people get out of prison and they don't feel obliged to be good people. They, sure. They're, ang- they're angry and bitter and broken, mm. you know, and, and we create, the danger we have is we create more victims from people coming out of prison. If we give people in prison hope and, and, and kindness, dare I say kindness to people in prison, if we do that, there's more chance of less harm from those people when they come out of prison. To me, it's logical. You know, I saw it in my, in my eyes, Charlotte, you know. Mm. A bit of encouragement. That's what people in prison need. I know it's a challenge, but if you, you, you encourage broken people, and I promise you, you get tenfold back in investment. Your investment of kindness and encouragement, you will get a hundredfold back of... Not everybody. You know, there's a lot of people in prison... Sometimes the problems are so deep-rooted that whatever you do, they can't overcome the issues they have. But the majority of the people I met in prison, Charlotte, the vast majority, I met every type of offender you can imagine. 
and the vast majority hated being criminals, wanted to be good members of society. Yeah, most don't make it. That's the sadness. But some some do make it. I was one of the lucky ones. So I have a question for you, how we can make sense of our own regrets and, and how we position ourselves in relation to them, where we belong. Gosh, you're asking me that. I'm asking you because on some level, everyone listening to this can surely relate to something they regret, some mistake they've made, someone they've hurt, cheating, cheating on an exam, stealing betraying a partner, lying. I mean, who on earth hasn't made a mistake? So do we do we belong in a kind of self-imposed prison? I, I'm not saying that our readers are in prison or will ever be in prison, but the prisons of our own mind, or do we learn to get past it? How does it work? Well, I think there you go. You know, we all have regrets. I don't think there's anybody... When you get past the age of 15, 16, 17, that you don't have regrets. I totally agree with you. And anyone who says they don't just isn't looking closely. <laughs> <laughs> but how do, you, how do you deal with that? Well, you've got to sort of, if your regrets are not overwhelming, you've got to live with those regrets. Yeah. There's not much we can do about the past. What I learned about in prison is there's nothing you can do to change the past. You can't change... Mm. For every action, there's a reaction. And what I learned, all my life lessons came in prison. I mean, I learned a lot before prison, but most of that was negative. In jail, as a reflective, philosophical thinker, I learned that we can't change the past. Everybody knows that. We can't, none of us can choose the life we're born into. Nobody can choose. And don't forget, it's like billions of one that any of us were ever born anyway. Billions to one. If you think biologically, the idea that any of us could be here, emerge into this world. But none of us can choose the life we're born into. But once you're in it, you've got to just go with the flow sort of thing. And if you're in a happy, nurturing, warm, secure life, wonderful. If you're not, that's not wonderful. And you've got to sort of... But the people who are born into good lives, you've got to have a think about the people that are not. You know... You can't take it for granted. You can't be complacent about, oh, look at me. Well, he, he's bad. She's nasty. I'm wonderful because I've got everything I need, but he lives on the streets and he's less than me and he's a nasty person. Life is so sort of complex in that way, but, but, but we, I think what we've tried to do is simplify the complex. Absolutely. Of us and them. and Us and them. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit like that now. I'm not going to lie to you. When, I, I, I look at people on the street, well, not for a while because I've been in lockdown, but when I'm in London, when I was in London, and I see people on the streets, I always went up. I could see me on the street, even though I'm not on the street. I've got, I've got a house I built myself. I've got, you know, I've got a good, decent life. But I used to live like those people on the streets. And I go and I shake their hand, I give them a couple of quid. And I said, thank God. And I talk to them. And behind their eyes is a whole history of, how they got to where they got to, mm. you know. But you know, if you, if you got a good life in this life, feel good, enjoy, be happy, but don't condemn others that don't have good lives. You know. What an important message! Thank you so much for for speaking so openly about all of this no. and making the material so relatable. Well, I hope so, Charlotte. I hope so. But people you, you have a too. lot to learn from you. <laughs> you too opened up a little bit there and uh, you know 
I, I hope I haven't been hiding too much. I've just wanted to focus a bit on you. Um, before we stop, any any final thoughts on belonging and, and any new ideas about belonging from our conversation specifically? Well, my, you know, my, my final thoughts about belonging is it's wonderful to belong. People ask me sometimes when I meet people and say, oh, where are you from? You know, you meet a new person. Like, I'm not sure where I'm from. Mm. I say my parents were Scotland. I was born in England. I was brought up in the north of England. Mm. And I don't have a sense of, uh, you know, where where I'm from. Mm. But the, I think the main thing about belonging is you have to feel that you belong to yourself. You belong wherever you are in totally. the world. You've, you've got to feel that you belong to yourself. You don't have to belong anywhere. To be able to be yourself, whatever the context, whatever the circumstances. The most important thing in life Young people, middle-aged people, older people, the most important goal in life is to find and be yourself. And then wherever you are, you belong, wherever you yeah. are. Yeah. Once you know who you are, once you understand, your, you know yourself, then you belong anywhere. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy anywhere in the world because I sort of found myself in jail. I found myself. <laughs> How powerful. So I'm I'm thinking about one of the many things I've learned from you today, and there will be a ripple effect. I will keep thinking of aspects of this conversation for years to come, I'm sure. I feel like there's a lot about tolerance and a lot about belonging just in my own skin, in my own mind, and thinking about regret, thinking about mistakes, stretching that sense of self to accommodate all of the sins, all of all of the regrets and errors and misadventures as well as the adventures. I, I feel like you've definitely pushed me to expand my sense of self. So thank you. Hey, thank you, Charlotte. That's an amazing thing to say. Thank you. Wow, that was uh, really impressive, I thought. Quite a conversation, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Haunting. Have you ever been in prison, by the way, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> Not as a uh, as a prisoner, but I remember that I when I lived in San Francisco that I visited Alcatraz once. Yeah. And it was, I think that's actually the only prison I ever saw from the inside. And it was incredibly creepy. And you know what was so horrifying about it was that Alcatraz in the, in the bay in San Francisco is so close to the land mm -hmm. that you could really imagine that the, how hard it must have been for the prisoners to, to hear the sounds of people in freedom you know, walking by uh, the marina in San Francisco and know that you're not part of their life, but they were within sight. So it was like this this added psychological torture, right, uh, of, of being so close to life and freedom and yet not able to be part of it. It's a wonderful picture because it's a little bit like the lockdown we experienced. I think um, you're so close to society, but on the other hand, you're so far away. What I learned basically, or what came to my mind is... Um, I think when I think about people who have been in prison, so when I was thinking about Saddam Hussein who was captured, uh, and at the same time Nelson Mandela who was for a long time in prison, um, I think what I find intriguing basically, if you compare these two characters and both have been very important persons in the history, um, I think the one was broken after a couple of days in prison, whereas Nelson Mandela has been for years in prison. And then when he came out, he was the charismatic leader He, he was all the time, maybe, but it shows basically that I think it forms your character and says a lot about your character if you can stand in this kind of situation. And that is a thought I find 
pretty intriguing about, I think when you told me in the beginning, there's someone from a prison, I was not so sure how intellectual that would be, but I was really deeply impressed. Um, what's so in, yeah, I mean, what's so interesting about Urban James is also that he did reinvent himself. So he began Absolutely. to write in prison and he, um, you know, he will have this part of his history with him for the rest of his life, but he's able now to appear in public and have a new life as a professional writer. And I think that is, that's just um, remarkable. And I think there's one thing he said that really struck with me as well when he talked about this need to learn how to lead a smaller life and that you, mm -hmm. I think he said, you have to become content with less or sort of lower your expectations in, in prison. And that's something, of course, that we all had to do without wanting to compare the experience of lockdown in prison. But yeah, many of us were confined to our own walls and we had to live to shrink our ego. We had to learn to shrink our ego and live a smaller life. Um, so that analogy between the lockdown that many of us experienced and life in prison, I thought was also really interesting. And it was very interesting to me that Charlotte, as a therapist, right, that she was so, I mean, if you, if you want to hear what curiosity, like genuine curiosity sounds like, I think you have to listen to this episode because she's so interested in his story and just one question after the other, rather than telling her story, she's just so interested in him that, yeah, it's just, just like abundant curiosity that we're privy to, that we're, you can hear. It, it's super interesting what you say because... So my initial thought was when you're locked away, you have nothing to tell. That was my initial thought. But um, I think what we'll learn now is, um, and it's interesting that you say it was a journey of reinvention because this is also our theme. And I think also considering of how can we innovate ourselves. In most of the cases, you think you need to have a lot of resources. Actually, what he's told us as a story is um, the scarcity of resources the scarcity of freedom basically has created this kind of reinvention. And that is, I think, something we can take away. Basically, it's not only always about having enough of something. Sometimes it's better to have less of something to really clearly focus and reshape and redefine yourself, your company, or whatever you want to reshape, so to say. The last thing I would, I would make is, is that it's this notion of re-entry. So that they'll ta they talked about... Uh, how he re-entered life and how hard it was, you know, mm. coming out of prison, even though he was back in freedom, he didn't feel free. And re-entry, of course, for Charlotte um, and her clients, patients, it's the same, right? That uh, I think it's always about re-entry. Like, you know, when you're uh, working with a therapist, you're going through transitions in your life, as so many of us do, just because of the times that we live in, this notion of like, how do you re-enter your former self? How do you enter your future self? How do you manage these transitions is so important and relevant for all of us. And that's another takeaway for me here from this episode. I think it's all about appreciation in the end, what you just described, right? Because there are things that have been natural, have been given. Because I was just thinking it's a little bit like going out for dinner the first time after the lockdown. Things that have been very common, but you appreciate by far more because you don't take it for granted somehow. That was a wonderful discussion, a wonderful episode. We learned a lot. Thank you so much for that. Tune into the further episodes. You will find them on all podcasting platforms. And uh, looking forward to the next episode, Tim. I do too. Bye. Bye.